me in a word of prayer, won't you? Heavenly Father, we do. We surrender everything. Uh, our control over our work week. We, we surrender um, our needs before you. Uh, we pray that you'd be with our children this week, this spring, our marriage and family life. We pray that it'll become all that you intend it to be by your grace alone. Uh, we pray in advance for today's events that no one gets hurt, that everyone has a lot of fun, and uh, that moms don't have to cook or do dishes today for lunch, or dads don't have to. Uh, we just thank you for this special day, this Palm Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. If you're visiting, my name's Scott. I'm the pastor at Adventure. I've been in Atomas for a long time. I can tell you the best restaurant in Atomas is the Shell Station. They have the best Mexican food here in Atomas. It's great food. Don't, don't, don't be fooled by the Shell Station. No, it's great to be with you here today. We're, you're here on Palm Sunday. That day, just a point of information, that day is considered the last the first day of the last week of the life of Jesus. Palm Sunday is the first day of the last week of the life of Jesus. And if you're interested in it, inside of your programs is a what we call a harmony of his last week. If you want to go home and, and uh, look through it, it lays out how the eyewitnesses uh, narrated Jesus last week. And so if that helps you, it's a great study tool to help you understand it, what happened 1,987 Years ago, plus or minus a few months, Jesus last week, the question we've been trying to answer is, how did Jesus change the world in seven days? Because most of the focus of his eyewitnesses was on the last seven days. How did he change the world in seven days? And what I wish we had today were some first century Christians who could just tell us, hey, this is what happened. Jerusalem was chaotic already, but when Jesus came in, it just went through the roof. I wish we could all maybe interview today some Christians from India who are facing difficulties as Compassion International has been pulled out of there, and now they're really feeling the tension of their culture. I wish we could talk to some Christians in Egypt who faced a lot of pressure since December's bombing. And they, they really have to stand for Jesus. I wish we could have those kind of people here. Because I think we American Christians, by our own choice, have allowed our culture to kind of, kind of just hold us down. I think the biggest argument for Christianity these days is our Christians. There are some fully devoted Christians that are unbelievable. Uh, their joy, their certainty, their completeness, their wholesomeness, their aliveness. The best argument, though, against Christianity is <laughs> the same Christians. Uh, when they're somber, joyless, self-righteous, smug, narrow, repressive, Christianity dies a thousand deaths. And I have to own the fact that I'm sure that some of my narrowness, some of my lack of joy, some of my personal discontentment over the years has maybe turned some people far from God farther off. They thought, oh, wow not interested in that. <laughs> Maybe a neighbor saw me and was like, oh, stay away from that. I, I would own that. How about you? Can you, uh, can you agree that sometimes we Christians just, just allow our culture to just sap all 
the life out of us, all the joy that was intended. Sometimes I think that our lives are like a U-Haul moving truck. Has anyone ever, ever driven a U-Haul? Oh. Or has anyone ever enjoyed driving behind someone that was driving a U-Haul? Anyone's like, where's the U-Haul? I want to get behind a U-Haul. No. You know why? They don't exceed 55 miles an hour. Uh, they can, but you've got to be, you know, on the right. You've got to be coming north on the grape, grapevine. Uh, you've got to be, you've got to be, you know, just flooring it, and you might get to 57 or 58 miles an hour, right? Sometimes I feel like our culture, Christians, have, have, have allowed our culture to just weigh us down. And it's our choice. We have to own that. But we've allowed the culture to tell us when we can have joy, when we can express our absolute trust in Jesus, uh, when it's appropriate, when it's not, instead of just living the full life that we were intended to live. And so what has, what has moved into kind of uh, a doldrum or a bleak Christian life has just become normal. It's been normalized in our lives. It's the normal life. It's Christianity 101. Been here, done that. Thing, <laughs> check. And today, uh, I want to talk about how to change that. Can you relate to uh, Pastor Ray Johnston, who wrote this? For many Christians, for, Christ- for many Christian adults, it's been so long that we've been living without inspiration. Now feels normal. Living discouraged feels normal. Not being able to sleep feels normal. I'm sure a lot of us struggle with that. Uh, We've developed uh, a whole generation that is not inspired, just opinionated. No inspiration, but oh, do we have opinions, (laughs) right? The question I want to answer today is how do we get our inspiration back? Real inspiration. I'm not talking about, yeah, that's a good sermon. I'm out of here. Peace. Yeah, where are the hot dogs? These burgers are terrible. Who ate all the donuts? I'm I'm talking about inspiration that you have to own. You have to leave today and take a next step to happen. And where we're going to end today is going to list all the next steps Jesus took towards our inspiration. And they were all tough. His inspiration actually happened when he was submissive to his father, submissive to his betraying friend, submissive to the governor, submissive to Herod, who killed his cousin, submissive to a company of Roman soldiers who beat him to a pulp, submissive to a crowd that some of whom he healed that chose to free a murderer rather than free him. They wanted to crucify him. Submissive to uh, passerbys on the highway northeast of Jerusalem as they walked by and mocked him when he was on a cross. Submissive to some guys next to him on the cross that were bad-mouthing him. Jesus was like, you really want some of this? Submissive to the darkness, the silence of his father from noon to three. Absolute darkness. And submissive until the end. And he finished. See, moving from doldrum to inspiration requires the faith to step into commitment and submission. 
It's not easy. So if you don't leave with some sort of idea, some sort, if you don't leave willing to take some next step towards submitting to God today, I cannot promise you you'll leave with a hope for inspiration. That's, that's ours to take the next step, okay? How do we get inspired? How do we get inspired? I'm going to be in Jesus' co-worker, his tax accountant, his CPA, uh, Matthew's letter. If you brought a smartphone or Bible, open up to Matthew's letter. Um, Matthew chapter 26. You open up, you'll see where I'm going to start. The first step of three that Jesus gave to his disciples that promise inspiration. But I want to tell you before you leave, kind of in a sentence where we're headed. The key to inspiration is daring to believe that things can be different when right now they look bleak. The key to inspiration is daring to believe that things can be different even right now what you're looking at does not look very hopeful. How many just straight up are like, all right, I'm interested in that. Anybody? Yeah, I'd like to see circumstances change. Well, they did. They did. After this very week, a little less than 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, it wasn't just Jerusalem that changed. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Antioch, the Roman world, the Western world, the Eastern world, the globe. In a week. Because somebody dared to believe, a man like us, a a human like us, dared to believe that things could be different than they actually looked at that time. Let's check this out. Matthew chapter 26, let's look and see what, how Jesus exemplified to his own disciples how they can be inspiring people. Here it is, Matthew chapter 26. Then Jesus went with his disciples. I'm in verse 36. Let me give you a minute to get there. Let me give you a pause. Some of you are still back at the Mexican food at the Shell Station wondering if you need to eat lunch there. I want to give you a second to catch up. It's a good choice. It's a good choice. Matthew 26, 26. Here we go. 26, 36, rather. Here it is. Then Jesus went to his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. It's Thursday night, Thursday evening, last night of his life. And he said to them, sit here a while, and I'm going to go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He began to be what? Sorrowful and troubled. If the Son of God, Jesus Christ, gets sorrowful and troubled, can we do that? Yeah. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Verse 39, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, who did he pray to? His father. But what did he say? He said, my father. Isn't that a beautiful salutation you can incorporate in your prayer life? My father. You can do that. My father, if it is possible, that's a little pity taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. That's a little picture of the requirement for personal inspiration. You have to say, not my will, but you will, your will. Verse 40, 
8, then he returned to his disciples and he found them. At this moment in his life, when he needed them to have his back, he found them asleep. Asleep. I mean, it's, it's the night before the biggest day on the planet. And his closest friends, his three amigos, Peter, James, and John, are sleeping. And he says to Peter, couldn't you keep watch with me for an hour? I needed you to be awake for an hour. Watch and pray with me so you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He's speaking to our natures that we have to this day. The spirit is willing. That's the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Jesus that lives in us, wants to do and to will to do right. But there's another spirit in us that's in conflict, and it's our flesh, this this, our body, our, our lust of the eyes, our pride of life, our lust for things. There's a constant tension there. And Jesus says, uh, we're weak. He went away a second time and he prayed, My Father, if it is not pos- possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back again, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. Their eyes were heavy. How many of you would just admit right now, my eyes are heavy, Pastor? Speed up. Get going. Okay. My first observation is that Jesus was exemplifying something here. He was exemplifying something that will build inspiration into your life. I guarantee it. He was exemplifying grace and forgiveness. What I see in Jesus here is that Jesus is willing to forgive those closest to him who let him down. Jesus is willing to forgive those closest to him who let him down. I mean, imagine. He's prayerfully considering. He's asking for an opt-out of, of a word that Roman, Romans and Mediterranean people alike didn't like to mention. It was impolite to use the word crucifixion. He's asking for an opt-out. Father, if it's possible, I don't want to do what, what is... And he tells his friends, hey, you mind just staying here with me for a little bit? Would, would you be here? for with me for a little bit and they go to sleep now if if you're jesus or if i'm jesus this is what i'm saying hey guys i was just praying about whether or not to die for you uh this kind of attitude that helped i am not gonna die for you there is no way you deserve it look at that get up get up get up what are you doing (laughs) if we made decisions about our relationships based on some of the way people get our backs when we need them, when we really need them, would we have any friends? Jesus models what it means to be a friend when your friends let you down. What kind of friend are you to your friends when your friends let you down? When you really need them. Or how about this? You just kind of need them. And they let you down. What do you do? Are you like, hey, never again. I don't care if I ever talk to you again. Or are you like, you know what? I get that. I get tired too. I get flaky too. I don't communicate too. I have my moods. I have my days. Yeah, all right. Jesus models what it means to be a friend to friends when they let you down. He models something else. The mob comes here shortly at Gethsemane and Peter initiates uh, the first membership of the Christian Taliban in the first century. He brings out a sword. He's now awake. He, he, he's up now. 
He had a, a late night espresso. He takes out his, his sword and he tries to, you know, do a Logan part one and go for the head of this assistant of the priest, misses. He's not very good with the sword, uh, cuts his ear off, and we learn something about Jesus. He stands up and he takes the guy's ear that's been dismembered, puts it back on, and heals him. He heals the very person that came to arrest him. Jesus, see, he not only he not only is patient, gracious, and forgiving to his friends when they let him down, that he's been with for three years, but he's willing to forgive his enemy that's come to arrest him. He'll heal his enemy. Jesus practices grace and forgiveness. If you become a, a distributor of grace and forgiveness to your friends and to people who don't like you. You're going to experience inspiration. And let me tell you something else you're going to have. A lot of friends. I'm serious. If Sometimes I think we have, and I mentioned this last fall, we have expectations of people that are super high. Really high. You got to meet, hey, you got to be there if you want to get close to me. But, but as far as holding ourselves accountable to that standard, oh, oh, come on, man. We, there's grace, right? So I, I get grace from God, but you, uh-uh, you're on a different, different scale. You know what I learned about oil this week? Seems random, but it's not. Hang with me. This is not a random thought. Uh, this, one of the healthiest things you can have right here, not too much of it, probably only four tablespoons a day. A day. Uh, nothing like good old olive oil on a salad. Ooh, okay, with bread. Uh, this is uh, Montreal steak seasoning, kind of a nice little sprinkle in there. Nothing like a little olive oil. As beautiful as olive oil is, do you know it? It's hard to produce olive oil. It actually, it's quite a process. Learned this this week. Olives require both harsh and calm weather, intermittently. Harsh and calm weather. They also require a beating, a crushing of the olives because they're not ready to produce olives. A crushing. There has to be some some real uh, crushing of the olives. And then finally, there has to be a pressing of the olives before it produces this very tasty olive oil that can be used for medicinal value, that can be used for light. What's so ironic about the grace and forgiveness that Jesus is modeling to his friends who let him down and to his enemies that have come to arrest him is that Jesus is praying at Gethsemane. Gethsemane is called the olive press. That's what the word means. And so what I want to just suggest is that when, like Jesus, you're being pressed and you're feeling both this simultaneous harshness and calmness and you're feeling a smackdown, it's your opportunity to be a distributor of grace and forgiveness to your friends who let you down and to some people that are coming after you. Jesus said to those who were coming after him from the cross, Elevated up, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Is someone coming to mind today that needs to experience the grace and forgiveness that you receive from Jesus, that needs to receive it from you to them? 
if you start doing this, it's going to change your relationships. You're going to have lots of friends. <laughs> You're gonna, it's going to broaden your friendships. <sighs> You're going to be happier. People are going to be like, dude, how do you just keep loving people? Well, you're going to acknowledge, you know what? I needed a lot of forgiveness. I had sleepy eyes at one time. How do we get inspiration back? We practice grace and forgiveness. It's a part of who we are. It's a part of what we do. Secondly, we look for God's vision. We look for a greater vision, a greater vision in our life, something new. Listen to the vision Jesus gave his disciples. This is after his resurrection. It is in Matthew chapter 28, same accountant who gives this record, this eyewitness. After Jesus resurrected, he gives his disciples a contrary, a new, a weird vision in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Here it is. All authority, he says, on earth has been given unto me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, of all what? He's talking to the Hebrews. They've been an exclusive group for 1,400 years. He's giving them a totally different, contrary vision. Here's what I believe. I believe that the Holy Spirit often will give us a vision or a direction that seems very contrary to the way we've been headed. It's unique. It's different than we think it is or imagined it. God has dreams for us we ourselves have never dreamed. And when you're, when you're following the Lord, sometimes he'll send you a different direction than you ever intended. All these guys have no idea. They're going global. <laughs> Thomas has no idea he's going to India. John Mark uh, or, or uh, Andrew has no idea he's going to Asia. They have no idea. God has a plan for them. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Holy Spirit, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I commanded you, and truly I'm with you always into the end of the age. What I think is, is happening here is that God is, Jesus is giving his followers a new vision, something new. We need greater vision, personally. Listen to some of the language of Jesus' visionary uh, comments about for his disciples. He says, Verily I say unto you, whoever believes in me will do the work I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. I thought of Brother Matthew Koshi in India who's doing great things, reaching thousands and thousands of Indians for the gospel. How do you, how do you have greater vision? How about this? You dare to believe that things could be different even though they don't look like it right now. That's how you have greater vision. You dare to believe that things could be different even when it doesn't look like it right now. Jesus said, you may ask anything in my name and I will do it. This week, I personally asked God for something. I needed a resource. I said, God, if, if you'll give me this resource, I promise you I'll do this for you. I picked something that, that was kind of a stretch for me. And uh, he gave me the resource. I immediately followed through because I, I want him to continue to be generous with me. Jesus said, truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it'll move. Nothing will be impossible for you. With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. What if God is just getting started on your marriage and family life? 
I'm not encouraging more kids right now necessarily. What if God is just getting started on your career? What if God is just getting started in your relationship with your children or your grandchildren? What if God is just getting started in your work, in your heart? I was moved by my parents this week. Uh, My mom gave me permission to share this. Uh, My stepdad, Bob, uh, had to go down to uh, the hospital this week. Um, And my mom's just been an incredible example and trooper uh, taking care of uh, him. And he's been a tremendous gift to her for a lot of years. But uh, she said, she made this comment as we were walking out of Kaiser. She said, you know, Scott, I think God is preparing us for something greater. I was like, well, that's a vision. I think God is preparing us for something greater. And I thought, Mom, that's faith. I love that. Can I share that, Mom? Yeah. Maybe God is really preparing you for something greater. It's hard to dare to think that things are going to be different by the way you're looking at them. Let me give you a couple examples of some things that have happened around here where we've dared to think differently and things have changed. One is last Sunday, I was so excited, we started an initial listening startup to a college-age group. Students came. I asked my son how it went, or someone did. He said, Dad, the students who wanted to be there were there. It was a great start. I was so excited. I look forward to that group getting loved and cared for. I also was excited that two weeks ago, we were visited by Zach Fox. And Zach is a 20-something from Hope International in Fullerton. He graduated in 2015, and uh, he applied for our opening student and college-age pastor. Uh, He came up here and visited. It was a win for everybody. And uh, we offered him a job, and he accepted. He starts June 1st. We are just thrilled. We're just thrilled. You got to dare, dare to think that things can change. And this guy's sweet. I tell you what we love about this guy the most is this. Oh, yeah, you're going to love him. He, he loves people. And he, he's, he's got character. I asked him, I said, hey, are you dating anybody? Yeah. Are, are you going to get married? I can't afford it. I'm like, oh, I like that answer. He said, no, I can't afford it. I need a job. I'm like, all right. And uh, since he's accepted the job, he said, uh, hey, here's the plan. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to propose to Angelina of Puerto Rico. And uh, if she says yes, then uh, she'll, we'll get married in September, and then she'll join me. I was like, oh. And I, during the, I was so impressed with this. And then... Uh, well, during the referencing, I called one of his references that knew him in high school. I wanted to talk to some people that knew him in high school. That's an important season for development. And this guy pulled the trailer for their church plant. His dad started Venture Christian Church in Temecula 12 years ago. So they did the set-up teardown thing. And Zach was on the set-up teardown team. So I'm like tearing. You have me at hello. <laughs> <laughs> start the youth group. And I said, they said, yeah, Zach set up and tore down regularly. And he helped start the youth group and kept it growing. I was like, oh boy, this guy knows where we've been. He's not going to be a stranger to what it's like to be in a beautiful building like this. And so I'm just thrilled. Every person I talk to outside of adventure who knows his family, I knew his dad, by the way, his dad and I both applied for probably one of the number one youth pastor positions in Southern California following Les Christie, who's now at William Jessup University. His dad and I both applied, and uh, I never got a call back. No one ever, not even like, hey, nice to 
Okay. No. Yeah. They hired his dad. <laughs> his dad's a wonderful guy. We both, uh, we got some heritage, mutual heritage. Dare to think things can be different. I asked you at the beginning of the year to be praying about our, our youth pastor search. This is big for us. Uh, I want to continue to ask you to be praying about our worship artist search. You know this team up here? All volunteers. Unbelievable work they do. For those, those of you that know music, you know how hard that is to put that together. Yeah. They, some people think they just show on Sunday and just, just go. Nah. No. Takes a lot of this. We, we've got three candidates right now, strong candidates we're looking at uh, to bring here. Pray the Lord's will be done in that area, would you? They've got to bring the right person with, with this is what we're looking for big time. So what about you? Do you need, is there an area in your life where you need to dare to think that things could be different, even though it doesn't look that way right now? There's, there's a bunch of stuff that, that, uh, that, that may need, that, that God may have for you, but you're going to have to dare to think a little differently. And here's the deal. When you are willing to embrace God's vision, that gives inspiration in your life. Be open to God's vision. It'll give inspiration. Finally, it's God's transforming power. His transforming power. You may or may not know this verse. What we're celebrating this week is Christ's death for our sins. And what we'll celebrate next Sunday is his resurrection. And what we know is that the same spirit that lived, that raised Jesus from the dead lives in a Christian. We have power that lives within us. We don't think we do, but we do. I'm going to prove it to you right now. Okay, if you're... 18 years or older, I want you to stand up right now. If you can, if you can. Yeah, oh yeah. I promise that I will participate in this exercise because it's going to get embarrassing. All right. So here, to help us understand God's power, if you were kicked out of school or sent home because of misbehavior when you were a kid, you can sit down. Okay. Let me repeat. Some of you weren't listening. If you were ever kicked out of school or sent home because of your misbehavior, you need to sit down right now. Okay. Number two, if on a youth group camp or retreat, you ever made out with your boyfriend or girlfriend while you were learning about Jesus, you need to sit down with me right now. (laughs) Now, the only exception, we had someone in first service that said, wait, I married that person. Ah, that's a little different. Okay, lastly, uh, if you ever got drunk in high school or college, please sit down. Wow, wow, that changed the room. Wow. Oh, I just saw one of my friends sit down. I look forward to that conversation. But that's confidential, Greg. Uh, here we go. If, if you ever... Uh, if you never read your Bible when you were in high school, never read it, you can sit down. Never read your Bible in high school. All right. All right. If, if while someone on the platform was saying, hey, with every head bowed and every eye closed, you didn't close your eye. You need to sit down. <laughs> give, give these ladies a hand. <laughs> here's, hey, here's the point. Praise God for His transforming power that changes us. Agreed? 
We change. We get better. And here's the point. You can, your trajectory can continue to improve. Remember what Jesus said. He said, follow me to his disciples, and I will make you fishers of men. Or in some translations, you will become fishers of men. The power of Jesus is when you choose to believe he's the key to your becoming. He's the key to your becoming. And becoming starts right here. Let me ask, what areas in your life would you, is there an area in your life you'd like to grow in by his power? Let me list a a bunch of them. Fear or anxiety, is that an issue for you? He can help you with that. He can help you control your thoughts so that your mind is at peace. It doesn't mean it's 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 a fix entirely for anxiety, but he can help tremendously. He can help those manipulating habits. You try to control people. He can help you with your overspending. He can help you with your relationships. How many of you are like me? You just like to go deeper and broader in your relationships. You want life's too going too fast. You want more friendships. All right, the four of us, let's meet after service. <laughs> hey, he can help you with your work habits. He can help you get better. I don't care what your Myers-Briggs is. I don't care what your Taylor Johnson or your CPI is or your DISTES is. Whether you're a people person, a detail person, a support person, or a dominator, he can help you. Trust him. Let's skip the next one. If you're just kidding. Hey, let me tell you, I was an anxiety eater years ago. I get eating habits and disorders big time. When I say big, emphasis on 248 pounds, okay? Guilt, that's one I checked off this morning. Sometimes too hard on myself. Not always in the home, I'm not as hard on myself, but self-image, anger. That's a scary one, isn't it? Sometimes the most painful things that happen in our home are Happened in about five seconds. We say something. Oh, I should never have said that. Lying. Let's just agree that what Jesus said was true, that lying is the devil's language. It's not an option. It's not an option. Tell the truth to your own hurt. Insecurity. Confidence level. Sexual addictions. It's huge in our culture. Huge. It's the reason I'm not on Facebook anymore. I don't want to even see anything inappropriate. That's why I like films, uh, Netflix like Crown or Innocent Things, documentaries. I'm boring, but I like keeping pure eyes. Hurtful behavior. You do things to hurt people intentionally, you know it. Alcohol. Has food or beverage become kind of a medicine for you? You need it drug dependency, or others. My point is that Jesus' power can help really transform you. You can get free of stuff. I totally believe it. Not perfect, but you can really get free. But you have to take a step. It doesn't just happen. You have to sense, how is the Spirit leading me, and what do I need to do? Here's why I know that, because Jesus committed to submitting to his Father when it was tough. He submitted, as I mentioned earlier, He submitted to his friend who was betraying him. He submitted to the chief priests and elders who knew better, who arrested him and accused him of wrong that he didn't do. He submitted to a governor 
and that governor's company of soldiers who beat him to a pulp. He submitted to Herod who killed his cousin, John. Jesus stood in his presence and didn't say a word. Herod didn't get the blessing of hearing from the word because he already heard it from John and he wasn't willing to listen. Jesus submitted to a crowd that said, we want Barabbas, not Jesus. Maybe some in that crowd already had been healed by Jesus. Jesus submitted himself to a mob that was walking out front, ridiculing while he was on the cross. He submitted himself to a couple guys that just couldn't shut up next to him on the cross. Ooh, one of them woke up and was like, uh-oh, this guy ain't your normal criminal. And he said to Jesus, hey, will you remember me in, will you remember me in your kingdom? Jesus said, before this day was over, you'll be with me in paradise. Maybe that's you. You need that kind of hope and forgiveness. That's how easy it is to get it. Just a question. Would you remember me in your kingdom? Yes. Jesus submitted to the hardest thing, I think, that afternoon. 12 to noon. Excuse me. 12 to 3. Absolute darkness. He submitted to the silence of his father. You feel like God's been silent with you? In some way? He submitted himself into that. And then he finished. At 3 p.m. from that cross, he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? And then he said, it is finished. Where all your sins were completely expunged. All of them. Even the one you're doing now. In your mind. Completely expunged. So that we can live wholesome, joyous, complete, full, power-driven, greater visionary, grace and forgiving lives. What do you need today? What is your next step? It's going to be a hard one. It's not easy. Here's a prayer I put together for us. God, help me believe that things could be different, even though it does not look that way right now. Things can be different. They can change. How about this? God, help me to share your grace and forgiveness. Give me your greater vision for my life. And finally, I want to experience your transforming power. I want it. Let's, let's close our eyes and have a prayer time together. If right now you're facing circumstances that are tough, is your prayer, God help me, Dare to believe that things could be different. If it is, right from where you're seated, I challenge you to pray that now. Just say, God, help me dare to believe that things could be different. Even though it doesn't look that way right now. Right from where you're seated. If you're here today and you're saying, you know what? Uh, I just am not a very forgiving and gracious person at all. I would have bailed on the cross and probably beat up those disciples. If that's you... Why don't you just say, God, help me be forgiving like Jesus is to me. If you're here without a lot of hope and vision, you're feeling very frustrated, I just want to challenge you to say, God, give me your vision for my life. And then finally, if you feel powerless in one of the areas I mentioned, admit your powerlessness. And here's a very specific prayer I'd ask you to pray. 
God, resurrect this weakness in my life. Resurrect it. And I'll give you all the glory. If you're here today, you've never made a first-time decision to trust in Jesus. And like the, the rebel that was hanging on the cross next to Jesus, you just want him to remember you in his kingdom. I ask you to pray this simple prayer from where you're seated. God, remember me in your kingdom. Jesus, remember me in your kingdom. And if you just prayed that prayer, I want to acknowledge it. Could I get you to be bold and just raise your hand and say, yeah, that was me today. Praise the Lord. I see several of you. Great. Lots of you. Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, I just ask today that you'll give those that prayed that prayer for the first time the rest and confidence to know that when this like life is over, they'll be with you in paradise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.